it's a global health crisis. You've completely tapped into the problem. It's a huge World Health Organization, United Nations, World Bank, all these big organizations have really taken this on. And people are seeing clean cooking as something that can be solved. That's why people have continued to work on this issue. There's 4 million people dying every year from diseases such as lung cancer and pneumonia. And it's all because of their breathing from cooking on open fire. Welcome Getting There fans. I'm your host, Alejandro Garcia Maya. Exposure to smoke from household air pollution causes 3.8 million premature deaths each year. How can we save millions of lives by simply changing the way people cook? On today's show, we have Tara Ramanadan, Program Director at NextLeaf Analytics the organization designing sensor technologies providing clean cooking solutions in rural areas. In this episode, Tara and I go over how clean cooking can save millions of lives and she answers a number of questions such as, why is open fire cooking causing a global health crisis? What is black carbon and how does it negatively affect people's health and the environment? What is NextLeaf's flagship product, Stove Trace? And how does monitoring stove usage lead to increased clean stove adoption? Join us in our conversation. Let's do this. I love that these are the starter questions because we go very deep. <laughs> like, hi, how are you? What inspires you? But that is exactly what I'm going to ask you. What inspires you? What gets you excited? I've been thinking about this a lot. I get asked that a lot by my niece mm -hmm. and nephew and other people. And I think for me, what inspires me is when there is a narrative in the world that I think is incorrect, I get inspired to change it. And so, for example, I don't know, when I was young, then one of the narratives was girls can't play basketball. And so I was super inspired every day in my middle school life to just play basketball and get better at it and play with the boys and show that girls can also compete. And so I think that's always what has charged me. I love that. So what does success mean to you? So I guess the way I'll interpret this question is how I define a successful life um, mm. for myself or for mm -hmm. someone else. And I think that in life, there's just so many ups and downs and there's so much rejection. There's so much failure. And so to me, success would be having a strong inner core or kind of like an inner power such that no matter if I get rejected from something, if I fail something, I still know in my core that I am a good person and that I'm amazing and I can tell myself that. So what do you believe you learn most from your parents? So my parents immigrated from India during a really hard time in India and they didn't have much and they raised a family of three of us and gave us really good life. So I think both what they taught me verbally, but also symbolically the life they led is just to not be scared of the impossible. And that just that whatever seems impossible is probably possible. And so just don't fear that and kind of walk right through wow. big challenges. What is next leave? And I got to make sure that people know that if when they go to next leave, it's 
nextleaf.org, not .com because I found myself looking at cannabis and <laughs> some company <laughs> that like that's selling marijuana. So just making sure <laughs> .org or when you hear this. So what is Nextleaf and what problem is it trying to solve? So Nextleaf is a nonprofit. We've been around since 2009. Our main mission is to bring transparency and truth to development initiatives. Because one of the problems in development work in international development work is that there's so much money that goes towards development support, which is great, but it's not always clear what is making the most impact. And so what's missing is data. And so Nextleaf brings data analytics tools to governments, ministries of health, NGOs, and other stakeholders so that they can be empowered to use data to find out what's working and then fix what's not working to get to better impact. And what areas do you concentrate on? So we have two main programs that have been going on since the beginning, which is in vaccines and in clean cooking. And we have a new initiative now on neonatal intensive care units. And across all of the three, we have a very similar approach that basically is using this, again, always coming back to the data and figuring out how do you monitor different equipment, whether it's a refrigerator storing temperature-sensitive vaccines or whether it's a clean cook stove that might be able to save someone's life, how do you have this data be useful for people so they can use it and they're not just kind of collecting a database of information? One of the first things that really blew my mind when my team and I came across what you're doing is that there's 3 billion people that cook through smoke. And just by doing that, their health is impacted negatively, mm. and it kills more people each year than malaria, tuberculosis, and HIV/AIDS combined. I would love to concentrate on specifically the cooking and why you concentrated in that field, and maybe if you can share a little bit more about what's currently happening. You know, what does the process actually look like, and what are the negative impacts that are taking place when people decide to cook in this manner? Mm -hmm. It's a global health crisis. You've completely tapped into the problem. It's a huge World Health Organization, United Nations, World Bank, all these big organizations have really taken this on. And people are seeing clean cooking as something that can be solved. That's why people have continued to work on this issue. There's 4 million people dying every year from diseases such as lung cancer and pneumonia. And it's all because of their breathing from cooking on open fire. Just the way that in California and maybe other countries, we do barbecuing and we do grilling. That's the same smoke that these people are breathing. It's black carbon. It's the same smoke that comes out of cars. It's that black carbon is not only harmful to health, but it also is the second largest contributor to climate change. So and there's so, no difference between the barbecue stoves that Americans use for July 4th and the smoke that they inhale versus other smoke that is being cooked? It's very similar. Wow. And also when, when we go camping, I think that's a very American oh. thing. I don't know if an international community relates to that. But when we would go camping, the camping stoves, those are kind of like the cleaner way to cook. But sometimes when people go camping, they will do wood fire and all of that. And so burning wood is the thing that kind of puts out the smoke if you're not burning it efficiently. That smoke, it's called black carbon, right? What? It's a lot of particulates. I should have mentioned that earlier. So it's black carbon is one of the biggest ones that smoke that's coming out of that, but there's also other particulates. So there's also PM 2.5. 
And then there's carbon dioxide. So it's kind of this complex system. Right. And it says in terms of climate change, so one is health of the individual that's actually cooking. Mm -hmm. The other is the amount of black carbon that's being placed in the atmosphere and the planet. And is this correct that as much as 20% of the planet's warming can be contributed to this type of smoke? That's correct. That is what scientists have been finding. Wow. And then on top of that, for people to be able to create these fires, use wood. And so that on itself also encourages deforestation in a number of areas. What are the communities that are most affected by this? South Asia, a lot of different places in South Asia. India is majorly affected. And then in Africa, there's a lot of countries that are affected in Africa as well. Those are the two major areas, but also South America has this problem. And I think one of the saddest things is that people have been cooking like this for centuries and they're so clever and so innovative. Like they made their own cooking device. In India, they made this out of mud. It's actually incredibly innovative. It meets all of their cooking needs. And one of the biggest challenges for clean cooking is finding something that's going to be as amazing as what these women built in their own homes Mm. that will actually meet all of their needs. And so I think that's one of the saddest parts is that they've made this themselves. People in these developing regions are going to suffer climate change first. And so it's a huge injustice. And so actually one of the reasons why NextLeaf provides climate credit payments to the women and why our model is that way is because we see that as a justice to the injustice, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's not fair that the women are going to suffer. So they should get paid Because they, by doing clean cooking, they're reducing emissions for everyone. And I love that. And I want to go a bit deeper into that in a little. What is Stove Trace? We're working on our value proposition around Stove Trace right now. And so Stove Trace has been typically historically a product. We've been branding it as a product. It's a device that monitors stove usage so that you get near real-time data on how people are using clean cook stoves in their households compared to how they continue to use the traditional polluting stoves in their homes. But in addition to that, I also Mm -hmm. want to speak to the approach that Stove Trace takes. And so Stove Mm -hmm. Trace is not just a product, it's also a program. And so the approach we take is that we don't just collect data in the beginning and the end of a project, because that is what has historically been done, is that at the end of a project, then you release this data and you say, okay, the stove usage dropped. And that's what most publications have found, is that adoption has not sustained of clean cooking. And so the approach that our program is taking, and we've been doing this for many years now, is let's monitor the usage continuously and let's look at the data weekly and follow up with the households and engage with them with this data. Show them the dashboard and say, hey, look at this. Last week, you stopped using your stoves. Why is that? Because then you can start getting to honest conversations with women and you can start really understanding their preferences. So Stove Trace is all about putting the woman at the center of the clean cook stove value chain and understanding women's preferences. You ended up going and spending hundreds of hours in rural villages in Orissa to understand the barriers of adoption. How was your first experience and what did you learn out of taking those trips and actually being on the ground and understanding what it is that they're doing? And actually that first time was my first month at NextLeaf. And so that was a very... (laughs) (laughs) Wow, hit the ground running, huh? I love to say the most exciting start to any job I've ever had. And I actually, one of the things that's very core to NextLeaf is that no matter how high up you go, no matter whether you become a director or a Mm -hmm. 
hire than a director, you always go to the field. It's very important to our organization's mission that everybody is connected to the field and understands what's happening on the ground. I've learned a lot. I've been going to the field every year for the last five years. And I think in that first experience I had, we had a project in 4,000 homes in 29 villages. So if you can imagine that, these stoves are scattered all across Orissa, which is a huge state. The good part about Orissa is that people get their wood for free. And so in that way, they're not spending money on the wood. And so it was easy to bring the clean cook stove up front. And the good thing about clean cook stoves is that it reduces fuel consumption by 50%. So these households can really see the decrease in the deforestation. How did it feel going into these particular villages? Were there misconceptions from the get-go? First of all, when I first started in clean cooking, there was a narrative in the sector that I knew had to be wrong, which was that the way to get to adoption is to educate women on the benefits of clean cooking. And I just knew that can't be right because women are smart. Everyone is smart inherently, and they all have their different smarts, especially about where they live. Mm -hmm. And if they're cooking on the open fire, they have to know that this breathing the smoke is bad for them. So that can't be the only barrier to adoption. And so going into the field, I kind of was prepared to already understand that people were aware of that and there had to be something else. But one of the ways in which we had a misconception ourselves was that we had gone into this project thinking, if we get a stove that is affordable and super clean, and by super clean, we mean it reduces black carbon by at least 80% in the households. And actually this stove was reducing it by even more than 80%, which is significant from a climate change standpoint. And so we had these stoves, we thought they were great, but we had never evaluated them for user friendliness ourselves. And so these were in (laughs) 4,000 homes. We had never said, okay, let's test it ourselves. Let's cook it on ourselves. It just completely was a misconception. And so when I went to the homes and I said, how do you like the stoves? And they said, yeah, we love them. And I looked at their data on our dashboard because our dashboard is real time. So I can pull it up on my phone. And then I looked at one woman's data and I saw that she was not using her stove. (laughs) And this is something that's been seen by many different publications now in the sector is that self-reported data on stove usage is not correlated with sensors. And so that's why it's so important to use the sensors. And so and so, I, so I had to think on the fly and I had to use my improv skills, which I had taken some classes in LA at the time. So I said, okay, I'm going <laughs> to improvise here and I'm going to think about how do I get some honest answers out of her without making her feel self-conscious? Because mm. I don't want her to feel like she's getting in trouble. And I had a translator with me because the local language is very complex. And so mm-hmm. I asked her, I said, I just want to let you know you're not in trouble. I just want to help you get the right stove. Can I just show you something? And so I showed her her data and I explained to her and I said, you know, the blue squares mean that you didn't cook. The green squares mean you did cook. Earlier this month, you were cooking and now you've completely stopped. And I said, can you kind of help me understand what happened? And then she just starts telling me everything. (laughs) Like, oh, child, take a seat. Let me tell you. And so she says, you know, the stove is not user-friendly. I have to take the wood I have to chop it into small pieces and then I have to feed it into the stove. And then she also said that sometimes the stove breaks and then I have to wait for the technician to come and fix it. And so I'm kind of just aggressively taking notes here. And it turned out that a lot of homes felt the same way because we did Mm. extensive focus group discussions with several of the villages. And then we did follow-up surveys and found out that about 50% of the stoves had broken. And so one of the main lessons learned from the story was that, first of all, stoves break, which is not something the sector was talking about at the time. Stoves do break and you need after-sales service. So while manufacturers are working on making the stove more durable, 
if you are going to subject women to these stoves, you need to take your responsibility as an implementer. And I'm speaking for us there that mm. we have to pay for the after sales service and pay for a technician to cover each of the villages to mm. make sure that if a woman's stove breaks, that technician can come and repair the stove immediately because otherwise she will return to our traditional stove. Wow. What happens with these stoves if they do break? What takes place? Yeah. So we've totally fixed our model. We have a pretty set model that we feel good about, which is that one technician should cover, I think it's about 100 homes. And so if you grow past 100 homes, you need a second technician. Secondly, the other standard is that the homes need to be concentrated because if the technician has to ride his motorbike 20 miles, then that's just too much effort. And so the households really need to be concentrated. Let's take a step back and let's describe what the sensor-enabled climate financing model is. Yes. So that's actually how we started. We got started because the sector was trying to figure out how do you bridge the affordability gap? How do you make sure that people who are at the poorest levels not just in the urban areas, but how do you make sure that people in the poorest areas don't get left behind and don't get stuck with polluting cooking? And so we basically started this initiative called Project Surya. So that was an initiative with the University of California, San Diego, and an NGO in India and Nextleaf. And that was basically, how do you get women paid for reducing black carbon and carbon dioxide? Because there's a carbon market out there that rewards project developers for reducing carbon. I love that. Carbon credits for individuals. Carbon credits for individuals. That's pretty much how it works is you get the sensors on the stove and then we get the data on the dashboard and we use that temperature data to calculate how much people are using the stove. And then we have a methodology that translates usage into the emissions reduced of black carbon and carbon dioxide. Then the women get paid based on that. And they get to see how much carbon they did not put into the air? What do they see in terms of their experience? Their experience is the amount. They currently aren't getting reporting on the tons that they've reduced. Mm. That's a good idea. We could do that in the future. But right now, yes, the way that we've changed the model is they get the money to their phones. So we've connected with Vodafone M-Pesa and that's been super revolutionary for the women. They've never had connection to mobile money. And so now they see the cash in their hands. How long has that been available for people in that region or in India? So we work in the super, super remote areas where there's actually no M-Pesa cash out agent. And the way that M-Pesa works is that you should be next to a cash out agent so you can bring your phone to them and then they give you the cash. So someone sends a wire to your account, Mm -hmm. you get notified that that wire was sent and then you go to the physical location where an M-Pesa employer representative is there You show them that you received that wire and then they give you cash. Correct. And it can work like Venmo in that you can also opt in to transfer the money to your bank account. But again, because they live so far away from their bank, they prefer to get the money right away. So that's actually something our team in India, and I forgot to mention this, but we have an amazing global team in Nigeria and India for our cook stove program. And so our team in India actually convinced Vodafone to bring cash out agents into Orissa to bring that. So that was something that these households never had. How many people have received financing or how does that work? That we have a more accurate number on our website, but I think our first pilot was about 500 households. And then over the last couple of years, it's probably been about 200 households. We scaled back. So that's actually one of our principles I mentioned earlier is responsible Mm. scale. And so after of those 4,000 homes, 50% of the stoves broke. We've really gone more slowly. And so when yeah. we get to 100, you that's a scope. Learned, you take mm-hmm. a step back and say, okay, what do we need to do in order? A lot of iteration. Uh-huh. That's great. So 
what's a normal range for someone that uses the stove and then realizes that they earn some credit? So they can get paid up to $14 per ton of carbon that they reduce. And they can reduce about five tons a year. Wow. And in terms of the payments, who pays and where does that money come from? It's all philanthropic support. We have amazing donors who have been supporting us from the beginning. And so they basically support what we call our local climate fund. And so it's not through the carbon market or anything like that, because the carbon market only rewards carbon dioxide right now. But when you add black carbon to that, then the amount of money that women can earn is more increased. Wow. Mm -hmm. When people hear this and they want to participate, where would they have to go if they wanted to participate in particular in the financing model? It depends on what they want back. Mm -hmm. If they want reporting about the number of climate credits that have been generated and they want to know how much emissions have been reduced, then that would be about becoming kind of a formal donor which we 100% welcome people to support as we scale up in Nigeria and Bangladesh, especially in India. And then in terms of if you just want to donate and support the cause, then we do have a donate button. Okay. It doesn't have to be a donation specific to this fund that focuses on payments for carbon credits for women. Eventually, we would like to establish that. Our hope is to find a basket of solutions. We want women to have choice all over the Mm -hmm. world. They shouldn't just have a technology forced on them. They Mm -hmm. should be able to choose from if they want to fuel, if they want a smaller stove. And Mm -hmm. so eventually when we find that basket of solutions, the hope is to then have some sort of climate fund that people can tap into and then can support wherever region that they want to support in. So are there any obstacles or anything that you're going through right now? So I would say one of the biggest obstacles is that we are not finding a stove that's meeting all four metrics. And Mm. so our four metrics are affordability, emissions, durability, and adoption. We've found such a painful trade-off, which is that we found like that stove I mentioned before that led to sustained adoption. That stove is super user-friendly and it's very affordable and very durable, but then it's not clean enough. And then the Mm. stoves that are clean enough are not user-friendly enough. How do you find a technology where you don't sacrifice any of those four metrics? And how do you get more funders to support responsible scale? I think this is probably people from all nonprofits will relate to, but often funders want to see targets. And so they often give the funding to people who are going after millions of homes. But when it comes to clean cooking, it's such a complex problem. And region to region have different cultural needs. And so you can't just scale up a stove to millions of homes. It's incredibly wasteful. Mm. And so one of the biggest questions on our mind is how do you get funders to really start to change their perspective so that all of the nonprofits and all of the institutions implementing these programs don't have so much pressure on them? Is there something that you can share in terms of how can we become better citizens of the world as a whole? Or how did you do it? What led you to then find yourself where you are now? I will say, first of all, that because I've been working in nonprofits and social impact for over 10 years, and one of my main failures that I've made in my career is when I only had good intentions and I didn't have a good framework to support those good intentions. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of us are learning that now in the social impact space is that good intentions are just not enough, unfortunately, especially when it comes to development work, because we just know so little about what goes on in developing countries. And in other contexts, I'll give a personal example is that I did teach for America straight out of college. That's when you go and teach in an inner city school. And I had wanted to work on fixing the education system, fixing how 
we work with inner city students, but I had no teaching experience. I was 21. My first year in the classroom, towards the end of the year, I was just realizing, what was I thinking doing this? I had no framework for this. <laughs> and so I left after a year and I kept teaching in an after school program in a more, in a lower stakes place just to get more experience with teaching. But I ultimately sure. learned that the work I wanted to do is that I wanted to be able to have more control over the entire system. And as a teacher, I have very little control in the classroom over the larger system. And so mm. I want to really change and shape systems. I started getting more experience with systems work. I got my MBA last year. I think that really helped. I took a break from Nextly for a year and got my MBA to really figure out how do you think through sustainable business models? What people should ask themselves is, do I just have good intentions or do I also have the framework? And if you don't have the framework, figure out how you can pursue achieving that framework. And then that way you can really be successful in these types of fields. I love that. Having said that, for anyone that wants to get involved, where do they go? How can they connect? Yes. So Nextleaf's hiring. So that's a good place to look. We have a lot of jobs open right now in India and the US. So one thing I'll say is that if there's impact investors, VCs, funders out there, again, I think one way to get involved is try to shape the conversation around how do we bring more data into the sector? It's very sad to me that we still have so many programs that are missing data. And I think if the people who are investing the money could say, we want data, the women deserve that. They deserve the best from us. And maybe the way to get to the best is if we know what's working and what's not working. And then there's lots of clean cooking organizations out there. You could become a stove designer. But again, I would say, don't just have a good idea about a stove design. Really think about how are you designing the stove? Don't just think about how clean it is. Don't just think about how user-friendly it is. Like really bring together all of those metrics. And we need more people like that who are thinking more comprehensively. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciated. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world-pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba. <laughs>